0: Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Marianne Ann Wolfe. The Dudley Flood Center for Educational Equity and Opportunity at the Public School Forum of North Carolina recently held its fifth annual Color of Education with our wonderful partners, the Samuel Bois Cook Center on Social Equity at Duke University and the Center for Child and Family Policy. Today, we are joined by four of the leaders who played critical roles in the planning and success of the convening and also the ongoing work across North Carolina. Hundreds of educators, students, equity leaders, and community and business partners joined us to learn and create action steps for impact. We are so pleased today to be joined by three leaders across North Carolina and, quite frankly, the country in this very important work. Welcome, Dr. Deanna Townsend-Smith, Dr. Keisha Bentley Edwards, and Danita Mason-Hogans. Just recently, we held the Color of Education through um, with hundreds and hundreds of people coming together to learn and think about racial equity and what equity means for our kids. I would love to hear from each of you. What were your biggest takeaways and what makes an event like Color of Education so impactful? And Deanna, as the Senior Director of the Dudley Flood Center, I'd love to start with you. My biggest takeaway from the color of education is that there's a
1: path forward despite any setbacks that have occurred. You know, specifically when we continue the work with consistent advocacy around expanding access for each and every student and instilling aspiration through representation, we make progress. Often we get discouraged. However, I I truly believe that we must remain strong in our convictions about what is right for students. We must continue to organize and be willing to strategize through the use of a common framework for change. There is truly power in collective. One of my favorite people, Maya Angelou, once said, each of us has the right and responsibility to access the roads which lie ahead and those over which we have traveled. And if their future role looms ominous or unpromising, we must be willing and ready to change. What we dived into at This Color of Education is that Brown versus Board laid the path and we must accept our responsibility to ensure a sound basic education for each and every student. That must be our
0: conviction. Thank you so much. Danita, what were your biggest takeaways? Well, very similarly to um, what uh, Deanna said,
2: I think that we're in a real critical point right now. And I think we're in a very critical point since Brown versus the Board of Education, I think since 1954, to really look at how education is going to be determined and how we're going to look at education and view it through the lens of providing a sound basic education for every child. So I think there's a lot of work to be done. And another thing that I think was really important and impactful for me is what a great uh, force the Color of Education uh, Conference has become over the last three years. And um, the Color of Education Conference has become such a significant part of learning about how we can provide education equity for every child and what the policies, what are the conversations surrounding those educational inequities and how we can use the understanding that we gain from these conferences to um, promote the educational equity that we
0: want to provide for our children. Keisha, I would love to hear your takeaways. You bring a very interesting perspective to this work. You know,
3: there were several takeaways, so it's hard to choose just one, Um, but the biggest thing is that context matters, and um, context has always mattered, and as we talked about things that happened, you know, even back to um, the antebellum period, to Brown versus board, and, you know... uh, The the brief period of active busing and integration uh, that we had here in North Carolina to now context matters. The questions are often the same, but the context has changed, and I think that's really um, what I found so compelling about this year's conference is that we had general multiple generations of educators students who were reflecting on their busing experience here in North Carolina as well as um, nationwide Um, teachers who were teaching during this period of segregation and the transition and for them to have so many of the same questions that we have as we think about educating our children it lets us know what we have learned from then so that we can move forward and I think that was that 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 we had that propulsion, like we have to move forward Uh, as we know more, we can do better.
0: When we think about the last couple of years, we know that students and families across North Carolina, our country, and quite frankly, the world have been through a great deal of challenges. And in this context, as you say, how do you think our students and families are doing? And you know, how is this different or unique for our children and families of color? Keisha? I think we often compare
3: Uh, children uh, from, oh, this is what the markers were five years ago or three years ago. Uh, And I don't think it's really an accurate comparison. The children from three years ago are very different. You know, a third grader three years ago is very different from a third grader today. They've experienced, you know, a lot of children have experienced a lot of grief and loss uh, being home for a year, uh, oftentimes people think about the learning loss, um, which, I, you know, they can, if you lose something, you can find it. And I think that's something that we need to remind ourselves. Uh, we do it every summer. <laughs> we can do it again at this period. So I don't think it's something that people should be frantic about. You know, it was a lot of stress on parents, which puts a lot of stress on kids. So I don't think that we often think about the stress of being home and the relief sometimes of being at school, but ultimately we want our kids safe. So I was actually okay with, you know, my girls being home a while longer um, because I just could not have dealt with any more grief, you know,
0: or loss at that period. Danita and Deanna, I know as you all in your deep work that you're doing, what are some of the challenges you think our families and students are facing today? Um, Danita? And I think, The
2: um, this current this current state that we're in has provided us an opportunity to really look at how these intersectional issues are affecting our children's ability to grow and learn. And I think that um, we know that proficiency has been down in a lot on a lot of uh, different levels for children, but I agree that it's an opportunity to look at clarity, look with clarity at what we are providing for our children and what we actually need to do. Deanna. Yes, and I totally agree. It it is about
1: equity and whole child. It's like we have to to think about both. And much of the points that have already been made, I think that COVID-19 exacerbated already existing problems. And what we need to do is focus on some of the innovations that we saw during the pandemic, such as providing universal free meals to every single child, creating pathways for success, and providing internet connections in some of our remote in some of our most remote areas, those are some of the things that we need to continue to do. And much to Dr. Keisha Bentley Edwards point around um, around learning loss, we also have to think around learning gains. What are the things that students gained during during this time? And what we what we must do is continue to tear down those barriers to success that we eliminated during the pandemic.
0: Thank you so much for being here. After the break, we will continue with this discussion. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Participate Learning, uniting our world through global learning. Welcome back to Education Matters. Many districts have been tackling issues of equity and trying to understand what individual students need. But right now, we are at this point where we need to assess and decide what do we do next. And um, I'm just curious to hear what action steps you think we take, which all come out of Color of Education, but also all of your deep experience. Keisha?
3: The first thing we need to do, we need to think about our taking care of our teachers, our administrators, our custodial staff, our nurses, social workers, like when we uh, A lot of times we say we need to take care of our teachers, but to also think about the entire ecosystem within the school system. We've had a shortage of counselors and nurses for a long time, and it was exasperated uh, uh, with the pandemic and the return. We need to bolster these resources, but we also need to look at uh, schools of education to make sure that they have appropriate funding so that they can expand that pipeline for better teachers, you know, motivated counselors because we need it. So those would be my, some of my action steps. You know, we're losing a lot of teachers for good reason and we need to keep our good teachers and as well as bring in, um, you know, new motivated teachers
0: um, to support. And Keisha, are there some steps you would hope our state would take? I know we are a state that has had a surplus. We were well-prepared in Um, You know, for we weren't preparing for a pandemic and yet we had prepared and that we had a surplus and I'm just curious if you have some specific steps you wish um, you would see um, our state take right now you know, the big
3: thing, and this is something that Deanna mentioned, was the, the lunch program, that all kids had food. And even during the breaks, uh, when we were at home, we made sure that kids ate. And I think that is, uh, we took away some of the things that we learned that were successful. Uh, and so I think that is something that I would say that the state should
0: really look into and not just look into, act upon. Danita, do you have some action steps you're hoping to see soon, tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> but obviously into the future. Well, yes, as as an organizer first, I absolutely do. I think that
2: um, the color of education has done such a terrific job in terms of defining what the problems and um, what things come out of not having access to an education, a sound bas- basic education for every child. In the past, we've had wonderful people like Nicole Hannah-Jones, Tanahashi Coates, Coates, um, Ibram Kendi who really defined the problem and paired them with local scholars like Keisha, like Yoma, Sandy Darity, and talked about what the root causes of of these inequities are. And I think this year was special for me because it looked at um, these inequities through a historic lens, but not only looked at the inequities through a historic lens, it also looked at resiliency through a historic lens and what really powerful things that may have been great solutions that we might not be looking at. So I think for me, we're at a critical point, as I said before, in education. And I think what really is important now is that Now that we understand what the problem is, now that we've looked at the history of the problem, I think it's really important to organize. I think if you look at people who are in charge of funding and making policy decisions that impact us, a lot of folks don't even have an educational background and are making these policies for a majority of the population that they are not even um, representative of. And I think we as folks, regular folks on the ground, really need to pay attention to that I think we need to do a better job of defining issues such as Leandro. Most of the people in the education that I know of are, um, are very aware of what Leandro is and what implications that might have for educational funding and the objective of providing a sound basic education. But I don't know how good of a job we've done Um, educating people who are voting and putting these people in these positions that are making these policy decisions for everybody. And um, so I think the next logical stage is to uh, find these teachers who come to the conference every year looking for solutions and looking to pair with each other to provide solutions and provide opportunities to hear from them, learn from them, learn from each other, and talk about a discourse that will put us in a better position later on. So I think organizing is the next uh, the, the next um, step. And I think it's critical for us to talk about the role of voting, the consequences of elections, and even litigation when it comes to educational policy. So I think informing folks and uh, organizing is the next um, important step that we need to take.
1: It boils down to investing in our public schools and investing in our educators, whomever they may be in our public schools. I think that the biggest challenging challenges we are facing are outlined in the Leandro Comprehensive Remedial Plan, along with the State Board of Education Strategic Plan. Our namesake, Dr. Dudley Flood, often says, we already know what is needed. We do not need another report. We don't need another plan. However, we must be willing to act. Mm-hmm. And I am of the firm belief, as many of you are here today, that these plans just need to be fully implemented and funded, and funded. much like Dr. Vanessa Siddlewalker Walker charged us with during the call to action. We must stand on our convictions. We must organize and we must strategize. The Dudley Flood Center is a willing partner. We're we're here to be that safe space. um, And we're willing to engage in those conversations to continue to make public education the best it can be for each and every student.
0: One, to also make sure we call out the critical role that our education district and school administrators principals, superintendents, and other leaders are playing in all this work. I know that they are dedicated and I and getting to work with them and, and supporting those teachers and all of that. And so I would like to add that as part of that call to action, that we're also supporting those leaders. I know you all were including them in there. I just wanted to give a shout out um, because I've watched the deep work that they're doing and how they think about all this and giving their teachers um, what they need in order to also succeed. So really appreciate that. And in our last couple of minutes, I'd like to give each of you a chance just to share what gives you hope. What gives me hope is how motivated and committed the educators at Color of Education
3: were. It really gave me a lot of hope, but also um, the fact that people are not just standing by and watching what happens or just letting um, people who don't have children and families best interest in mind at heart. So whether it's the history, the accuracy of history, the inclusiveness of um, the LGBTQ um, children and teachers, um, all of these things are are critical and they're interconnected. And we, what gives me hope is that we are not just standing by, we're thinking about, as Danita said, our elections, we are thinking about, um, you know, how we can take a stand to work with the system and sometimes work around the system to make sure that our kids are educated the best way possible the color
2: of education has given plenty of reason to be optimistic. I mean, when you pair legendary educators like Dudley Flood and um, or Dor- Dorothy Count Scoggins uh, with, with people who are committed to getting um, funding like Sandra Wilkes Conway and you get other people Um, in the same room with these really dedicated educators and administrators and people who really want to make a collective difference and get everybody in the room talking. I really think there's some great things that will come out of this, and um, I'm really, really looking forward to community collaboration all over the state. And I think that we um, are in a challenging time, but I also believe that challenges bring opportunities. So I think we have a great opportunities now to really look at educational equity and what role we might play in providing that education, whatever our level of um, interaction is with, with the process.
1: What gives me hope is that you know we have the Delhi Flood Center and we have this partnership through the Color of Education Summit where we can not only discuss, but develop action steps to support students, educators in our public in our public schools. The conversation doesn't stop here. We must continue the work because we have a responsibility. And just just putting out another call that for those who missed the Color of Education Summit, you will have an opportunity to experience an abbreviated version on Giving Tuesday. So we will we will. Into you on Giving Tuesday, so that you can join the conversation and the work that is currently taking place. So we have a lot of work to do to um, to to create the appropriate actions to er- eradicate systemic inequities. And I'm looking forward to.
0: One of the many things that gives me hope is that we have leaders like the three of you. And I am grateful every single day. And I know people across our state are too. And we all know this is not the last conversation we're going to have. So we will see you again. But thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. Great to be here. After the break, this week's final word with Dr. Dudley Flood. We are so pleased to be joined today by Dr. Dudley Flood. Um, As many of you know, Dr. Flood has been deep in this work, trying to ensure that every child in North Carolina has access to a high quality equitable education for many, many decades and continues to share wisdom, the challenges, and also the hope. Dr. Flood, can you talk a little bit about what gives you pause and what gives you hope?
4: Uh, What gives me hope is, I just witnessed <clears throat> at the College of Education, a realization of the value of diversity. Uh, we still encounter people who don't fully understand its value. And here we were in a gathering of people of all ages, all races, all bits, probably all public philosophers. We didn't examine that. That wasn't our purpose. Our purpose was to understand how valuable it was <clears throat> to have different opinions, Different perspectives, different understandings, and incidentally to gather new tools for whatever work we would be engaged in about how we move forward. So it's it's difficult for me to to feel poorly about any of that, because I think our emphasis has to be on not so much what was, but what is and what can be. Uh, as you might guess, I read a fair amount. And one of the things that sticks in me that I read years and years ago uh, was a quote by the Hebrew poet, Balak, when he said, in 1500, we are born into a world that is coming, but it's not fully done, and into a world that is going, but it's not fully gone. Well, that was very evident to me when you looked at the generations that were present. And when you heard the stories of people who had lived through instances which the younger people would not have had any, any experience in. And then when you heard from the younger people of rejection of a, what they're now doing and what they perceive can be done and ought to be done and should be done, you realize we're still children of the dusk. We're still living in a world that's coming. It's not for the here. And in a world that going and not, not for the gone. So, it gives me hope that as we learn how to straddle that world, how to not separate it, how to not have it have parts that have to battle against each other, but there's continuity. Uh, one blessing that I have is the blessing of having lived a long time. And when I look at the progress in my specific experience from where we came to where we are, I know we can get to where we're headed. I know that. I don't have to wonder about it. So that gives me hope. We don't always have the avenue through which to share with those who might profit from such sharing. And for that reason, I'm encouraged that we're now beginning to build that avenue. We're building that through the flood center, we're building it through the public school forum, we're building it through other avenues that haven't been available to us in in a a demonstrative way for a while. Uh, So, If I had a wish, that that would have been a continuity of what we did in the 70s, but there wasn't. There was a lapse. Uh, There was a semi-realization or or acceptance. Oh, now we've got that done. We're going to something else. But I recognize that anything that is maintained, nourished, diminishes. Uh, It's a normal uh, fact. And uh, those theories that I always like to quote, I used to be a science teacher in the elementary school, and I used to teach the law of inertia. A body in motion tends to continue in the same line of motion unless it is acted on by an external force. So what we have to learn to be, if we don't become that external force, whatever was will continue to be just as it was. But I do believe we've learned now how to create some external force. Uh, To not have inertia be so much like it was But to have it continue to move, but move in a proper direction that served all people. So that is what gives me hope.
0: I love it. Well, Dr. Flood, thank you, as always, for sharing with us. Every single time I get to be with you, even for a few minutes, I learn more and I leave inspired to do better. So thank you. Thank you for taking time with us to learn and think about education. That's all for today. And we'll see you next week.